Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45 will be our text for this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's page 1021. 1021. Mark 10, 32 to 45. When you've found that place, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. And again he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And will deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later he will rise again. Then James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. You shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. We come to you, God, knowing that unless you speak to us clearly by your Spirit, we will not hear, we will not understand, we will not benefit. God, if you don't take this word and work in our hearts, in our minds, we will not be transformed. So come now in power, O oh God, by your spirit. Teach the word of God through the words of my mouth. Let it penetrate the hearts of this people and make us more like our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message this morning is Self-Giving Service. There is a consumer mentality that's very pervasive in society. And if we're not careful, that same kind of mentality can find its way into the church. And when that kind of consumer mentality gets in the church, the number one concern becomes, what can the church do for me? How is the church going to serve me? But what can you do for me is not the question that we should be asking. 
the question we should be asking is, what can I do for you? As followers of Jesus Christ, our lives are supposed to be characterized by self-giving service. Rather than expecting others to serve us, we should be joyfully giving of ourselves in service to other people. The main idea of these verses is this. Disciples of Jesus are to follow His example of self-giving service. I'll say that again. Disciples of Jesus are to follow His example of self-giving service. Self-sacrificial service. Let me take just a moment to remind you where we are in our study of Mark's Gospel. The first half of the book, roughly the first eight chapters, focuses on the ministry of Jesus. In those chapters, we see Him preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We see Him call His first disciples to follow Him. We see Him exercising great power and authority as He teaches and heals and casts out demons beginning to reveal the truth about who He really is. But beginning in Mark chapter 8, verse 27, there's a shift in focus. No longer is it the ministry of Jesus that's the focus, but it's the mission of Jesus that comes into play. Beginning in chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus' focus becomes Jerusalem and the cross that lays ahead. This section of Mark that we're in right now runs from Mark 8.27 all the way through the end of chapter 10. And if we were going to give a label for this section of Mark, we might call it the way of the cross and the way of discipleship. You see, in this section of verses, three times Jesus predicts His crucifixion and resurrection repeatedly over and over he tells his disciples that he's going to give himself for the sake of others and at the same time in this section he is teaching his disciples that they are to follow his example he tells them I'm going to die and give myself in service to others and you are to do the same thing you are to give yourself in service to others Follow my example. Disciples of Jesus are to embrace His life of humility and self-giving service for the sake of others. That's a major theme in this section of Mark. But like we sometimes are, the disciples are proving to be slow learners. In our text for today, for example, Jesus finds Himself repeating a lesson He has already given them once before. The way to be great in God's kingdom is not by exalting yourself, but by humbly giving yourself in service to others. You remember it wasn't long ago they were traveling with Jesus and arguing about who was the greatest. And Jesus said the greatest among you is the one who's the servant of all. Well, essentially he's repeating exactly the same message because they still haven't got it. In order to help us understand and apply the message of these verses, 
We're going to examine these verses under three headings. Here's the first one. Here's the first thing I want to say to you today. The disciples' pattern is Jesus. As we think about self-giving service, the disciples' pattern for self-giving service is Jesus. In verse 32, Jesus and His disciples are on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus is walking ahead of them. Now, this is what you need to understand. This is a death march. You get it? Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. He's going there to offer Himself as a sacrifice for sinners. Yet, He's not lagging behind the rest of the group. He's not trying to put off His suffering as long as He possibly can. He is purposefully and intentionally out in front of His disciples leading the way, intent to accomplish his mission. Almost seems eager to get to Jerusalem. And it says, if you'll notice in verse 32, the disciples were amazed. You could translate that astounded. Here's the question, why? Why were they astounded? Remember, over and over, Jesus has announced to them that He's going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. In light of all that Jesus has told them about being rejected and dying, they are bewildered as to why He seems so eager to get to Jerusalem. You understand? It doesn't make any sense. He's going to suffer. Why is this? He seems so eager to get there. When you come to verses 33 and 34, Jesus predicts His crucifixion and resurrection for the third time in chapters 8, 9, and 10. We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. Judas will betray Jesus to the chief priests and scribes. Then the chief priests and scribes will hold a trial, if you want to call it that, they will condemn him to death, will deliver him over to the Gentiles, the Romans. You see, only the Roman governor had the right to condemn a prisoner to death. The Jews couldn't do that. Only the Roman province had authority in death penalty cases. So they turned him over to the Romans, and it says, what did the Romans do to him? Verse 34, they mocked him which means they made fun of him as if he were some pathetic would-be king. You remember they put the purple on him and the crown of thorns and they were bowing to him, they were making fun of him. They mocked him. Secondly, they spit on him. This was the members of the Sanhedrin council. This is a way of showing contempt for him. They spit on him. They flogged him. They beat him with a whip. And they killed him. Pilate condemned Jesus to execution by crucifixion. This is what awaits Jesus in Jerusalem. Yet, here he is leading the pack. It almost doesn't make sense. Was Jesus eager to suffer and die? No. He was eager to save sinners. But to do that, he had to suffer and die. You understand? 
It wasn't the suffering he was looking forward to. It was purchasing the salvation of sinners that he was looking forward to. He was going to give himself for others. Jesus accepted that his mission required giving himself in service to others. Now think about this. He is the master. Yet he is going before his disciples whose responsibility it is to do what? Follow him. They're to follow him. They're following Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. Now I need you to get this in your mind. Following Jesus on the road to Jerusalem represents following Jesus on the way of self-giving service. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to give himself for others. The disciples are to follow that pattern. You understand? I want you to picture this in your mind. Picture a father. He's out in the garage with his teenage son. He's out there to change the oil in his car. The father takes his time as he begins to gather the tools he's going to need. He carefully pulls the car up onto the ramps and he takes his son with him and he slides underneath the car, loosens the oil drain plug, loosens the filter, drains all the oil out, replaces the filter, replaces the drain plug. Finally, they get out from under the car and start putting the oil in. And, and as he's doing all this, he's kind of talking his son through it, showing him what he's doing. Now we could ask this question, what is this father doing? Well, he's changing the oil in his car. But is that all he's doing? No. He's also demonstrating the process to his son so one day his son can do it himself. As Jesus leads the pack on the way to Jerusalem to go die for the people, what is he doing? He's going to sacrifice himself for the sake of others. But in the process, he's setting an example for the disciples so that one day they can do the same. He's eagerly, willingly giving himself for others. And he does it so the disciples will see and follow that pattern. This is exactly what Jesus meant in John 13, 34, when he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Listen, being a disciple of Jesus is more than praising Jesus for giving himself for our sake. It is following his example of giving ourselves for the sake of others. You understand? Being a Christian is not just praising Jesus for giving himself for us. It is following his example and also giving ourselves for others. Think about this. Jesus said in Luke 22, 27, I am among you as the one who serves. And he was. For three years, he provided for the disciples. He protected them. He taught them. He trained them. He washed their feet and ultimately washed away their sin. He served them. 
Yet He is Lord of all. And even as Lord of all, He embraced the role of a servant. Listen, He is our pattern. We are to embrace His example of self-giving service. The second heading I want to give you this morning is this. We've seen the disciples' pattern is Jesus. The disciples' problem is self-centeredness. As we think about self-giving service, our problem as disciples is self-centeredness. Verse 35. James and John, the ones Jesus called the sons of thunder, they came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever it is that we ask. And he said, What do you want? me to do verse 37 they said grant that we may sit one on your right one on your left when you come into your glory now verse 35 is a little odd teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask why didn't they just come out and tell him what they wanted why this roundabout thing hey we want you to do whatever we ask why, would, why didn't they just say what they wanted? Well, either they were trying to manipulate Jesus or somehow they recognized how self-centered their request was. Or maybe even both. You know what they're doing, don't you? They're asking Jesus to sign a blank check. Do for us whatever we ask. Well, sure, just name it. Well, this is self-serving it's callous toward Jesus. It's an offense to the other disciples. But Jesus is no idiot. Verse 36. What exactly is it that you want me to do? Verse 37. They make their request. Let us sit. One on your right and one on your left. When you come into your kingdom. To, to sit on the king's right and left. Were the places of highest honor in the kingdom. Second only to the king himself. This is what they were asking. They want to be crowned princes sitting on their own thrones next to Jesus in the eternal kingdom of God. James and John apparently have ignored all that Jesus has said about suffering and rejection and death. All that he's been teaching them about humility and serving others. Apparently it's gone one in one ear and out the other. Apparently they haven't heard any of it. Or haven't soaked up any of that. They're like we are sometimes. They listen selectively. They only heard the parts they wanted to hear. The kingdom's coming. They ignored the part about serving others in humility and sacrifice. The request you see in verse 37 is the most blatant example of human self-centeredness in the entire book of Mark. It stands in stark contrast to Jesus' humility and self-sacrifice that he displays. In other words, they're, they're looking at Jesus' example and they're doing exactly the opposite. Now let me ask you this one. How would you answer Jesus' question? What do you want me to do for you? 
Jesus posed that question to you. What do you want me to do for you? Would your answer reveal self-centeredness? Or would your answer reveal that you are most concerned about the glory of God and the good of others? Would your answer be, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me? Or would your answer be, help me to do this for others? Help me to give myself for others? What would your answer say about you? Can I tell you this this morning? Self-centeredness will not get you anywhere in the kingdom of God. In verse 38, Jesus asked James and John, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? The cup he's referring to. Most often in Scripture, the cup refers to the, the judgment of God. Let me give you a Scripture. Psalm 75, verse 8. For a cup is in the hand of Yahweh, and the wine foams... It is, the, it is full of His mixture, and He pours from this. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain it and drink down to its dregs. It pictures the cup of God's judgment. Drinking it would be suffering the judgment of God. When Jesus says, can you take upon yourself, can you drink the cup that I drink? He's saying, can you undergo the judgment of God that I'm going to undergo? And when He talks about the baptism that he's going to be baptized with. The word baptism means immersed. This case, it is a metaphorical use. It means to be immersed or overwhelmed with suffering. This is what Jesus is saying to James and John. Are you willing, are you able to suffer like I'm going to suffer? You want the glory, but are you willing to give yourself and suffer for the sake of others? Again, Jesus is making it clear that the road to glory is the road of self-giving service. Now, verse 39, James and John say, oh yeah, we're able, we can do that. Well, they're courageous, if nothing else. But here's the reality. The disciples could not and would not suffer the same way Jesus did. What do I mean? I mean, only Jesus would endure the wrath of God for sinners. That's not something they could do. However, verse 39, Jesus says, you will drink the cup and be baptized with this baptism. In other words, you will suffer. Here's what he's saying to them. You will not get to glory without walking the way of self-giving service without giving yourself and on behalf of other people. There is no road to glory that doesn't involve sacrificing yourself in the service of others. Self-centeredness will never get you there. But notice what he says in verse 40. To sit on my right or my left is not mine to give. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. Here's James and John's big mistake. They assume that things work the same way in God's kingdom that they work on earth. They assume 
things work in the kingdom the same way they do in the world, but they don't. There are no favors. There's no good old boy politics in the kingdom. There's no you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours in the kingdom. There's no nominating your cousin or your brother-in-law for some position. No. There's no place for self-centeredness and self-promotion in the kingdom. Pushing themselves ahead of everyone else would not work in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is trying to get them to see. In the kingdom, the way to honor is self-giving service. Not exalting yourself above others. Now if we're all honest, we sometimes act the way James and John did. We do. We're human. Sometimes we are more interested in our own comfort and honor than we are what's best for others. Sometimes what I want is all that matters and I don't even really stop to consider what your wants or needs might be. Too often we have that whole look out for number one attitude. And that may be the way of the world. But it is not the way of the kingdom. It is not the way of the disciple of Jesus Christ. And you may be asking, well if I don't look out for myself, who will? Do I have to answer that? Do I have to give you the answer to that question? If you don't look out for yourself, who's going to look out for you? If you spend your life looking out for others, who's going to look out for you? Can't point into the sky, can't write. God. Selfishness, listen. Selfishness shows up in big ways and in small ways. Think about some of the ways selfishness shows up in life. Always wanting to be the first in line. Always taking the closest parking spot when you're not really handicapped. Always giving your opinion without stopping to consider the opinion of others. Getting upset or angry when things don't go your way. All those reveal selfishness. Those in a million other ways. That's the disciples' problem when it comes to self-giving service. We are, by fallen nature, we are selfish. Now here's the third heading I want us to look at this morning. We've seen the disciples' pattern, the disciples' problem. Now let's notice this. The disciples' position is servant. Our position as disciples is supposed to be that of a servant. You'll notice in verse 41 it says the other disciples, the other ten, began to feel indignant with James and John. They were angry at James and John when they heard this question when they heard this request now let's be real clear about something the other disciples are not angry at James and John because James and John are being selfish 
It's not their selfish ambition that makes the other disciples angry. They don't want James and John to get any advantage over them. That's why they're angry. In other words, they don't want James and John to get any glory that they're not going to get. They're all equally guilty. They don't want James and John to get the two highest positions because they want those positions themselves. They're all guilty. And once again, Jesus has to set them straight. Verse 42. Calling them to Himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Okay, so He's talking about how things work in the pagan world, in the non-Christian world, how power and authority and rulers, the way rulers ruled in those days. And this is what He's saying. The, the ruler among the pagans lord it over them. This means they have mastery over them. They bring people into subjection. They subdue them. They exercise authority. This pictures them ruling as tyrants. The point is, you see in the pagan world an oppressive, unfair use of power over others, often for personal gain. In other words, pagan rulers rule from a place of power and authority, dominating others, dominance. The world, says Jesus, leads from a model of dominance, authority, and the use of power and position. And then Jesus says this, notice it. You see it in verse 43? But it is not this way among you. That may be the way it works in the world. You rule from a position, you lead from a position of dominance and power. But that's not the way it works in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is an alternative society. And Jesus' followers have to operate with a completely different set of values. In other words, the disciples have it in their mind that things work in the kingdom the same way they do in the world. But Jesus is telling them in God's kingdom, the natural expectations of this earthly society are reversed. Leadership is not characterized by dominance. It's characterized by service. You with me? Leadership in the kingdom is not characterized by dominance. It's characterized by service. Notice what Jesus said in verse 44. Well, go back to verse 43. It is not to be this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be slave of all. Of course, a servant is a position of subordination and service this is the uh, this is the kind of person who would, if you had a family meal or something, or if you had guests over for a feast, the servant would be the one who would wait the tables. The irony here is Jesus is saying, greatness belongs to the one who is not great, but the one who is in this world considered the servant. 
And then he said in verse 44, whoever wants to be first must be slave. This is a position of even lower subordination than a servant. A slave is someone who was owned like property by someone else. In other words, they're completely under the direction of somebody else. The slave was the last and the least of all in society. In other words, here's the message from Jesus. In the kingdom of God, greatness means service. Prominence means working for the benefit of others. In the kingdom, greatness means service. Prominence means working for the benefit of others. I want you to look back at this phrase in verse 43. It is not this way among you. Now pay attention to this. He didn't say it should not be this way among you. He didn't say it will not be this way among you. He, said, he didn't say don't let it be this way among you. He said it is not this way among you. He is not telling them to behave in a certain way. He is telling them this is how things work in the kingdom of God. He's not saying for those in the kingdom of God, it shouldn't work like this. He's saying for those in the kingdom of God, it doesn't work like this. In other words, if you fail in being a servant, if you have no interest in serving others, if you are self-centered, you're not just falling outside of the ideal of God's kingdom, you are falling outside of the kingdom itself. In other words, he's saying people in the kingdom of God are servants. Being in the kingdom is people that are characterized by this. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus labels the desire to dominate others as a pagan. It's pagans that want seats of power. They want to lord over other people and tell other people what to do. That's what James and John were doing. And Jesus says that's pagan. That's worldly. That's ungodly. The disciples have taken these pagan rulers and made them their models. Made them their examples. But they need to take Jesus as their model. Why? Because the way of Jesus is self-giving service. They're not to be on the receiving end of service. They're to be on the giving end. Verse 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. What He's doing in this verse is, He's telling them if you want to be great, then you have to give yourself in service. And he's using himself as an example. He said, even me, even though I'm the Son of God and Messiah, the Son of Man. Let me remind you, that's a phrase from Daniel 7. The Son of Man is the one who's exalted by God to a place of eternal dominion. Jesus said, I'm the eternal King, but even I came not to be served, but to serve and give myself as a ransom. Ransom is a payment to secure release from slavery or captivity. It can be used as a payment to preserve somebody's life that's been legally forfeited. Or as used here, to release someone from bondage, spiritual bondage and captivity. Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve by 
giving his life as the payment to release us from the debt we owe because of our sins. He is giving himself in this verse as a model for his disciples to follow. Now I need you to, I need you to see this. The disciples need to see they cannot replicate Jesus' death. Right? Nobody can replicate his death. Only Jesus dies for sinners. That redeems people from their sin. But what he's telling them is that spirit of self-sacrifice, that spirit of service that characterized Jesus is also to characterize his followers. Are you with me? Jesus says, I came not to serve, but to give my life in service to others. And he's telling them, you're to have that same kind of position, that same way of thinking, that same mindset. The position of the disciple is that of a servant. Now I want you to think about this. If the exalted king willingly gives himself in service to others, how can his followers do less? Let me ask it another way. If Jesus, who was the Son of God and rightful heir to the throne of God, if he willingly took upon himself the position of a servant, what makes you think you should have a higher position? Huh? If the Son of God was willing to become a servant, what makes you think for one second you deserve a position any higher than servant? Should you find yourself one rung above Jesus on the ladder? Disciples of Jesus are to follow his example of self-giving service. Now let me ask you a question. In what ways are you using your time, your energy, your gifts, your talents, and your resources to serve other people in Jesus' name? How are you using your time, energy, gifts, talents, resources to serve other people in Jesus' name. Don't say, well, I'm old. My days of serving are over. No, they're not. You'd be dead if God was through with you. You may not can do everything you used to do, but there's an infinite list of things you still can do to serve other people, to serve in Jesus' name by serving others. If you don't have any idea what that is, you come see me. I'll give you a list, keep you busy for a hundred more lifetimes. What are you doing? Are you primarily in that mode where you're just soaking it all in, but you're not giving of yourself for others? Disciples are supposed to be characterized by spirit of service and sacrifice for others. I pray that it would be true for all of us. Let's pray.